All right. We are possibly going to try and finish up Titus today. Uh, next week, we are going to begin a study in Genesis, Genesis 1 through probably through 12 there. Um, it is foundational and fundamental in the storms of our culture and the world today to understand where we are and who we are by what God has said, because without that, we are just plain lost. Uh, we are in Titus chapter 3. Last week, we looked how Titus exhorted the saints, that, or Paul exhorted Titus to exhort the saints on Crete to be reminded to remind them. Again, we talked about, well, in reminding, that means you've probably heard this before. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, as, as Paul laid the foundations of the church, he built them up in doctrine and understanding in God's word. Talked about being submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. So really it's a general conduct, a submission to authority, a guarding of your mouth, a basic demeanor, being gentle and being courteous. So he is calling, and I kind of, poor man, stick drawing here. He is calling them to a conduct and a behavior going forward. Okay, behave this way. And then, and we, we, this was like in the last five minutes last week, he referenced back to them that you were once this red guy. You were over on the other side of the chasm between life and death. You were once one of them. He's exhorting them toward a conduct toward people you know, really, in many ways, back toward these people. Hey, don't forget, man, you were in this mess. How bad is this mess? Verse 3, you were once foolish. What does it mean to be foolish? Not called there. Act without wisdom. Okay, okay. Kind of the opposite. To act without wisdom. What is wisdom? Application of knowledge. Knowing the right thing to do. From whence cometh wisdom? I was actually uh, reading Job this morning. And in... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Really, man looking for wisdom by himself is not going to find it. He can't even buy it with gold, Job says. You can't buy it with gold. You're not going to find it. You can search all over. You're not going to find wisdom. Only in God, Job comes to this conclusion. Only in God is wisdom to be found. He is right and wrong. Right and wrong flow from him. It is his nature. That which is right corresponds to his identity. So to live really apart from God is foolish. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. These things all tie together. So if they really truly don't comprehend wisdom, is it any surprise that in the past you were disobedient? 
Is it any surprise you were led astray or deceived? You know, G.K. Chesterton, I don't, I don't know if this is apocryphal or if this actually was said by him. When man ceases to believe in God, it's not that he won't believe nothing. He'll believe anything. I mean, the rise in astrology and spiritism is, is really crazy right now in this, in this painfully secular society. As we try more and more to rid ourselves of God, we've got to fill it with something else. And so, you know, we get led astray by movie stars. Movie stars. Led astray. Slaves. To various passions and pleasures. I'm not a slave. What did Jesus say about slavery? About being a slave? Yes. You are all a slave to something. Yes. You are going you're going to submit to something. You are going to be bound by something. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Slaves to passions and pleasures. You know, your lusts. Those insatiable desires you know for some people it is it is the it's it's the eating appetite for some people it is it is the drinking i mean it's it's a i, I have it's it's almost a compulsion brothers it is the flesh and sex but there are other pleasures as well i mean i just i just you know Cindy Lauper, girls just want to have fun. Guys do too. That's why men today try and pry them off the sofa. Try and get the game control out of their hand. Get the remote out of their hand. Well, that guy goes outside. Well, what's he do? Uh, he plays soccer. How much? Like all the time. He's in the wood shop. Are these bad things? Not necessarily. Good, not necessarily. You know, but again, they can be where you are a slave to your pleasure. Passing your days. This is the ESV's translation. Passing your days. This means, this is, this is you wake up, you go to bed, you wake up, you go to bed, you wake up, you go to bed, and your days are filled with malice and envy. You know, I, Olivia, man, Olivia, I can't believe what she did to me. She cut me off. Uh, did you hear what she said about me? Olivia. But then Joseph, man, at the base, Joseph, I'd be like, I want, man, I, I, want, I want, hey, look at me, look at me, Joseph, me, me. Malice and envy. 
And if you, if you peel back the onion on those things, am I, do I have love for Olivia? Do I have love for Joseph? No, I, who do I have love for? Me. 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 Hating. Hating. You guys, you guys, as believers, know this. You can just pass that across to Tracy and just keep the clipboards going. We got three. Count them three new clipboards today. Three. Sometimes it's a perfect storm and all of them come due at the same time. So. Um, one of the most incredible, fabulous, wonderful, breathtaking, beautiful words in all of Scripture is the word but. It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pivotal transition. It's either a pivotal transition from the glory and wonder and spectacle of God to the depravity of man or the other way around. And that's the way we go here. We go from, oh, but, you know, you are here. He's calling you. He's calling them to sound doctrine, self-control, and good works. He's exhorting Titus to pass this on to them, to the church. And he exhorts them to remember Okay, you, you can't stand up on your pedestal and look down upon the masses and scoff them for their sin and depravity because you were, that's, that was you. And if you've forgotten it, think about it. If you came to, if you came to Christ as, as an ankle biter, praise God. Now, Paul's not exhorting the church at Crete to wallow in this or to go, oh, me. But to understand this next point. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, we've already talked about a glorious appearing and that is in chapter 2 verse 13 that we as believers are waiting for our blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great and God and Savior Jesus Christ again this is a forward looking the glorious appearing but here Paul is telling Titus about the glorious appearing that brought you from here to here so there is a glory to backward looking, not to wallow in this, but to go, boom, that God took me from this and brought me over here, no longer to cross this chasm again. The Goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. 
When was that? Jesus. It's Sunday school. Come on. Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. We have seen his glory. The goodness and loving kindness. Now, do those words strike you as strange? The goodness and loving kindness of God. What did God do in Jesus Christ? Uh huh. He crushed him. He poured out all of his wrath. Take a spatula and scraper on the inside, all of his wrath. Poured out all of his wrath on his son on the cross. Wrath, righteousness, holiness. justifiable against the depravity of his creatures, you and me. Because we're all over here in this. But this happened exhibiting the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior. He's talking to believers. He's talking to believers here. So this isn't the universal our Savior. This is of believers. So, to what end did the loving kindness and goodness of God appear? The end, what mo the end was our salvation. To save us. It appeared and he saved us. Now, what didn't motivate God? Continuing in verse 5 there. Our works. Yeah. Yeah, what do you got? You know, what, what do you have? What do you have? Your child's coloring. You know, for those who are parents, I'm sure they have some of their kids' first colorings, and it's like there are no lines on the page. It's just and sometimes there are some left here after Wednesday nights or whatever. It's, I guess nobody wanted that one. But there's there's like no lines. They're just all over the place. We got nothing. We got nothing. You know, here, God, look. If I am doing it to show him my righteousness, look at me, God. Look how good I am. God's going, I'm missing. You're missing it. Because if you're looking at me, God is saying, if you're looking at me, you're not going to see your righteousness. What are you going to see in the stark holiness? What are you going to see in yourself as you behold the extraordinary holiness of the living God? 
What are you going to see in yourself? What did somebody say? Over here. A worm. Worm. Yeah. Isaiah said what? Woe is me. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Man, falling on his face. What am I even doing here? Yeah, did you ever kind of stand in front of a mirror and go, oh, doesn't look too bad, and then all of a sudden you get into the light and go, ooh. Wow. Wow. HD. Yeah, HD. HD TV. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Al Michaels and uh, Chris Collinsworth overdid the makeup just a little bit, or the makeup people look like pumpkins. You know? Yeah, in the vivid light of the big screen, you see every speck and blemish. And when you are before the holiness of the living God, when God opens your eyes to see, opens your heart to comprehend His majesty and His wonder, we see our depravity. It's just worm, nothing. You got nothing. That's a good thing. Because it is then that God picks you up and goes, oh, but you are created in my image. And He restores to us a dignity and a value that we do not possess because of me. It's a dignity and a value that I possess because of him. Because of him. So it surely isn't motivated by my goodness at the end of, or in the middle of verse 5, but according to his own mercy. His own mercy. Mercy. What is mercy? Unmerited favor. That is exactly what I was going to say. Unmerited favor. Anything else? Mercy is not doing what you deserve. Good. It's interesting though. I don't get what I deserve. Yeah, uh, Newsboys lyric, I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. Um, but it's, uh, what? Super old Newsboys reference. I mean, it is. What are you saying about Super old? The Newsboys are super old. That's what I said. I know that I'd say Super old, come on. All right. Early 90s, right? Okay. But we digress. Um, it's not, and here's the important thing about God's mercy. I can show mercy to somebody, but the crime, somebody murders my wife. And, and I can go, oh, yeah, you know, that's okay. And I, I, I forgive you. But this was, there was a crime committed. I can forgive him, but there needs to be justice. He needs to be put on the gallows, put in the chair, one of those things. You know, the ninja, I don't know, something. There has to be justice. Our, our society cries out for justice. The individual should cry out for justice. There needs to be justice. And so even though God is merciful, there is justice. And that continues on here. 
So, what motivates God? His own mercy. How does he accomplish this saving of us? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Through Jesus whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. Okay. Washing. Who needs to be washed? The unclean. The unclean. Good. Who is unclean? Good. There is none righteous, no, not one. If you want a good listing, a good espresso shot of the Old Testament's understanding of the human heart, look at Paul's taking of a bunch of verses and putting it into Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. If you want a good comprehension of who we are apart from God, there it is. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. There is none righteous, no, not one. You know, the venom of asps is on their tongue. Or you can just go back to Titus 3, verse 3. Because this was us. So there has to be a washing Regeneration. What does that mean? Washing of regeneration. Okay. New birth. Get, flush this word out again. Or continue. To regenerate, to make, to remake something. So to remake a life. Okay, good. Which implies what of that life? Well, bring from unregenerate is death, and then from bringing to life unregenerate. Dead. Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your sin. Dead men do what? Nothing. Nothing. Smell bad and, you know, decay and rot. Okay, they don't do anything. You're dead. The dead cannot respond. And this is why. This is why... We profess that I have, I didn't save myself. God breathed the life into me. God opened my eyes to my sin. He put the paddles to my chest. I opened my eyes and there he was. his hand out to me. And even the strength I have to take his hand is the strength he has given me. I have nothing in my salvation. So there is a washing of regeneration and a renewal that comes by God, the Holy Spirit, does this work to open a man's eyes. Whom he, God the Father, poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Okay. You want a bath? This, this isn't just a, this isn't just 
you know, in the, in the sink with a wash rag. You are immersed in a glorious bath of regeneration. Slathered, complete, holy, poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Go. Wrestle with something. Please. Here. So interesting, the, the word choice, regeneration and renewal. So the washing of regeneration, we're talking about death and new life and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So are we to take then that before the regeneration, someone had the Holy Spirit? No, no. Our renewal. This is taking place of the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Okay, it's not a renewal of the Holy Spirit. No, this is talking about salvation. salvation. We are talking salvation here. This, this appearing, this goodness of God appeared, that he saved us. Verse 5, start of verse 5. He's talking about salvation. Not because of the works we have done, but according to his mercy. How did he save us? By the washing and regeneration, washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the actor doing the washing of regeneration and renewal. What is being washed? You are. Your dead soul is brought back to life by the work of the Holy Spirit. Filthy rags. Hey, yeah, you got, you got nothing. But because of the work that Jesus did on the cross for us. So how... Through... Jesus Christ, our Savior. How does the Holy Spirit have any authority to do what he is doing? Because Jesus Christ's work is finished. And because of that, through the work of the Holy Spirit, it is being applied to you. The Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1, 8, 12, is our seal, is our tattoo of redemption. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit because of this work here through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, what is, what is the end of this? Why does God do this? Okay, we go, he does it. He, the, the motivation is his mercy, his mercy, but that's, God's got a purpose. God has an end, and that continues in verse 7. So that being justified, again, there's our salvation, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, so God brings us from here to here to, and we can go back into chapter 2. You know, and, and look at the, 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 our waiting for the appearing of Jesus Christ to purify himself a people for his own possession. You know, our, as, as we become the bride of Christ in eternity future. So this is, this is an extraordinary place Again, to sit and meditate. 
on what we have been, but what has happened to us? How did this come about? God is making us into a people that we might become the heirs of the kingdom. Co-heirs, co-regents with Christ as king. And he goes on. He goes on from here. He says, this, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to, this is so important. I want you to insist, insist on these things. So that those who believed in God, you know, stew in this so that those of us who are now over here, we don't just sit down. We weren't saved to park. We were none of us saved to idle. We were saved to minister. We were saved, you know, all of those things, creating a people this way, okay, over here, future yet, which we're not there yet. We were saved even here to labor. And to bring glory to God, to build this mountain of glory to the living God through these things. And this is where Paul is going to end with them. Insist on these things so that those who have believed us, that's us, believed, believed in God, us, may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So we're, we're in point three on your, on your sheet on the back side. So emphasize these things. Insist those who have believed. Now, the pastor is supposed to insist on these things to those who have believed. If we kind of step back, we go, this means... That we ought not assume that those who have believed should go it alone. You were not saved. You are not a Christian. You are not adopted in God's family to go it alone. By implication, you are meant to be part of the body of Christ for this purpose. Also, by having the pastor insist on these things, it implies that we are not intended to be on autopilot. You can't just mow your lawn once and go, ah, it's good, looks good. I'm done. Don't ever have to mow my lawn again. No, man, you got to constantly be mowing the lawn. Water heater's out. I could just got a new water heater. We're done. No. Toilets. Toilet. I mean, but that's life. That's physical entropy. How much more spiritual entropy? 
The exhortation of the New Testament is to keep on, 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 insist on these things, brothers and sisters. That we must devote ourselves to good works. What is a good work? Something that God has prepared in advance for us to do. I think it's interesting that, you know, it says here that he has not saved us because of works done in righteousness, but then after we're saved, we are to devote ourselves to good works. But that's not what saves us. I like how he put it in there both. Awesome. And if you are, think of the word devoted. Let, let, me, let me back up. Give me a task either in the home or at work that you're really not fond of. Scrubbing your bathtub. Okay, bathtub scrubbing. Lawn mowing. Mopping the floor. Mopping the floor. No. I want to say Hair clogs. Yeah. Okay. Are you devoted to those things? Oh, I get I get to dig out the hair clog. No. No, you're not. So you 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 get an idea of devoted. This is not devoted. All right, I got to go to the kitchen. I got to make myself dinner. That is not devoted. Oh, baby, let me go to the icebox. Oh, look at all the stuff we can make. This is going to be great. That's devoted. We get to. Snoopy feet. You know, I get to serve the living God. Really? Really? I mean, think about it. God Almighty has redeemed us to do good works, that we might be devoted to them, that out of this, out of what he has done for us, that we would, yes, you want me to go to Micronesia? I'm going to Micronesia. I don't even know where it is, but I'm going. You know, in a kayak, 20 miles a day, you know what? I'm going. Yes. I'll say yes, Lord. Yes. To your will and to your way. Yes. Devoted. So that we might devote ourselves to good works. Again, good works. So I, I asked that question like three minutes ago. What are good works? Give it to me again. What are good works? Oh, things that God has Ephesians 2, verse 10. By grace you are saved, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Through faith, lest any man should boast. Okay? And then come the works, just like here. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But what? Are, so God has created these, but what are they? How do I know if, if, if this is a good work? Okay. What is good? God is good. I'm sorry, what? In accordance with God's character. Yes, absolutely. 
So if this thing is not in accordance with God's character, if this is in opposition to a command, then it's not a good thing. <clears throat> is mowing the lawn a good thing? Yes. God has called us to have dominion over the earth. That means to bring the disordered into order within the created realm. And that means mowing your lawn, taking care of your house. Yes, those are good things. There's an, an otherness in that, and serving others is good, 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 good works. I heard a quote from uh, MLK that said, everyone can be great because anyone can serve. That's a really good uh, premise of, that it's not necessarily... It, it, it should be unto the Lord, but like, are you serving? It's like why you're doing it, the point, the point, the pointness of the action. So. so those are those are some physical things. But has God grafted every one of you into the church? Why? For good works. To whom? To us. You're gifted, not for the coffee pot. I'm gifted to clean the bathrooms. No. That might be a gift of service, but you are serving the body. It is for each other. It is for each other. We, we talk about this. We emphasize it. Why? Because it's critical. Because the world is going to think that church is attending. Where I attend, I fill my square and I go home. Oh, I sang and I listened and I go home. No. No. That is a part of it. But you must be in the lives of your brothers and sisters. That is, that is being a part of the church. Good works, man. So take home, talk amongst your family. What are good, you know, good works? We could flesh this out for eons. These, are, these things are excellent and profitable. It should come as no surprise. If you're doing what God has laid on your heart to do and has strengthened you to do, this is excellent. This is profitable. This is good. Profit is good. But, oh, here we go again. But avoid, there's some bad things. So insist upon some things, but avoid other things. Avoid what? This section harkens back to the very first chapter where he is talking about those who, especially in verse 10 of the circumcision party, who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, who must be silenced. They profess to know God, verse 16, but deny them by their works. I'm sorry, where are you? Uh, chapter 1, verse 10 and verse 16 and chapter 3 and verse 9. I'm kind of straddling the whole book. Chapter 3 verse 9 is hearkening back to the controversies being stirred up in chapter 1 that he warned them against. At the end, at the conclusion here, based on his arguments so far, he says, but avoid these things. Avoid foolish controversies. Avoid genealogies. And we go, what? Who are genealogies important to? To the Jews. To my father-in-law. My father-in-law is, you know, he loves genealogy, you know, looking at tombstones and stuff, but that's not what they're talking about. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Who are you in 
Judaism? Under what tribe are you a part of? If you are a Levite, man, I'm sorry, you can't be a priest unless you're a part of the Aaronic priesthood. You can't serve in the temple unless you're a Levite. But I'm from the tribe of Judah, and I'd really like to be a part of the temple. Bummer. So what you're saying is that it could have to be from Aaron, because there was a lot more Levites, but if it wasn't hmm? from Aaron, you couldn't be a priest? The, the high priest, yes. So, you know, genealogies were a big thing. And sorry, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. In the church. In the church. Days. Some days better than other days. Foolish controversies. You can go back into Acts. I mean, that doesn't mean you shouldn't discuss these things. And come to a biblical conclusion as they did in the Jerusalem Council of Acts 15 about circumcision and food offered idols and what are we going to do about this? It was a thing then. And so they came to a conclusion and provided the apostolic answer. Well, we don't have apostles anymore, so we appeal to the word of God and the power of the Spirit. Genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Okay. Does that, again, does that mean I shouldn't debate issues of God's word? No. No. I I must absolutely debate issues of God's word. Until it becomes a settled thing. And then I submit, or if I believe it's heretical, I have to leave. But Paul, in preaching to Titus here, is going, this is settled, okay? My apostolic authority, you have sound doctrine here. So we need to, Paul even says, silence these men. Verse 11 of chapter 1. They must be silenced. Such discussions, they're unprofitable and they're worthless. They're not building anybody up. All they're doing is causing division. And and Paul then goes, what do we do with such a person? How do we handle a divisive person? So, Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells the church how to deal with the person who is living in sin. Okay? Essentially, you see the same action for the person who is divisive. Which highlights how critical the unity of the body must be. over for the sake of division and all these wild things apart from the gospel different from being divisive over a work going in the wrong direction carpet color yeah shades on the window you know that's that's petty that's little we're going to be divisive over that really 
So this is a person who is trying to instigate problems among the congregation? Is that it, it, is, it is an issue of false teaching. And it is, we, the false teaching is bad enough, must be silenced, but it is particular. The problem with false teaching is that by its nature, it is divisive. Because the orthodox, the one who is standing on what the Word of God says, is going to go, that's not what you're preaching. And you are dividing the church on this matter. Paul tells Titus to warn this person once. He's still doing it. Warn him again. He's still doing it. Have nothing to do with him. In the association of the church. Okay, have nothing more to do with him. Now, ah, oh man, we're friends. Okay? I would contend if you have a friend who is excommunicated from the church, that's what we're talking about here. Again, when I was a kid, I heard Catholic church excommunicated. How, do they, how dare they do that? But no, now I see the wisdom in God's word to put out one who's living contrary to God's word and being divisive. But I'm a friend with them. What's going to happen when you two get together? What is naturally going to surface? This issue. You, you I would contend you almost can't avoid this issue. And so, I mean, that, that, would, be, that would be a difficult thing. Can I say authoritatively that you need to break off all relationship with that person? No, I can't say that. That's not what it says. He's talking about the church. To have so, but but it's something you're going to have to you're going to have to come to terms with and stand fast with that person, and that it may ultimately affect your relationship with that person. Joseph, do you have any examples of this in their own life, or not their own life personally, uh, in previous churches of this being handled well, or of uh, just of this happening? I'm trying to think of like the way the reasons we see churches divide today. Just churches that's very common. Churches dividing, as I'm thinking about at least my experience of, of churches dividing, it's more based on like sin and relational issues within the body. Maybe not as much false teaching, which is what you're saying mm -hmm. is the main thing here. Um, right now, it's happening in the Methodist Church. That'd be maybe one example. Huge, and that's the LGBT issue. Yep. And they, they didn't deal with this properly. They gave too much grace to some people who were denying, like, virgin birth and that kind of stuff. And then uh, it, it just swept through the church so quick they couldn't uh, root it out. <laughs> Unfortunately, Francis, they just... <laughs> Francis Schaeffer in his book, The Great Evangelical Disaster, which we read here uh, years back as men, gives an example of standing in the Alps at a spot with his feet like this. And he's at a watershed. And the snow on his right foot would melt and go into the Mediterranean. The snow at his left foot would melt and ultimately go into the North Sea. A thousand miles away, thousands of miles away. But, but they're so close. What, 
And he says, this is how we must stand on the word of God. I can't go, well, it's almost the same thing. It's not. Because if you take these two positions through to their logical conclusion, they're going to end a thousand miles apart. I must stand firmly on the truth. To equivocate is to let that, that crack of division begin. Presbyterian Church, great example. Methodist Church today, great example. Well, because it, it, it happened to a friend of ours church as well, just a, an individual one, but like when it talks about like the leaven and growing, like if you don't deal with it right away, by the time it, it grows and, and spreads, by the time they deal with it, it just is divide. I mean, it, it splits the church yes, all the absolutely. way in half. Instead of dealing with the disciplinary issue uh, of, of a handful of people, you, you, you almost can sink the whole thing. Because then, yeah, now they're all dealing with, like, they don't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. So anything goes. Yeah. I'm not going to, we're not going to take time, since we don't have time, to ultimately go through the final greetings. They are interesting. Uh, talking about the lawyer and Apollos and some of these guys mentioned earlier in Scripture. I do want to look at verse 14 here in conclusion. And let our people, who would our people be? Believers. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Go back to verse 8. Learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. So again, if if we are heart and soul devoted to good works, if if we are, if I am heart and soul, excuse me, if I'm heart and soul devoted to the living God, and this is really Paul's exhortation to Titus, to these people, that they would be devoted to the living God, committed to standing on the firm rock of sound doctrine, this in their lives is going to build a self-control and this devotedness to God is going to spill over into good works. Here in helping people in need, like these missionaries, and simply being fruitful in their lives. Titus, boom, done. Done. 